Hey everybody, welcome back. I hope you had a great weekend. Um, we are getting right into studying, continuing to study Third Nephi today um, with Third Nephi chapter 14. And remember that we've we've covered quite a bit so far. This is still Jesus' rendition of the Sermon on the Mount to the Nephites. And uh, you remember that he started in chapter 11 by giving us a vision of what it is he wants us to accomplish. He wants us to join in unity with him and the Father and the Holy Ghost. And he's offered the doctrine of Christ as kind of a way to do that, right? The reception of the Holy Ghost is one of those gifts that's going to enable us to join into unity with them. He's then started in on the Sermon on the Mount, and he gave us the Beatitudes, which are a vision of the kind of kingdom that he'll build. So when, when people come into that unity, this is the result. This is, they're almost these uh, metrics that you can use to judge the Christian community by. Are they living up to blessing the poor in spirit, to comforting the more those who mourn, to um, giving the inheritance of the earth to the meek? All of these things that we talked about. And after giving the vision of the kingdom, Jesus switched into talking to the believers specifically, and talking about the responsibility that the believers have to be salt and to be light. And to be those evidences and those enhancers uh, of God's influence in the world. Then in uh, chapter 13, Jesus talked about how to, how to make sure that our worship of him doesn't become corrupted by priestcraft and by the need to appear as if we're worshiping. And that's a really important section. Um, and then finally... Remember that Jesus switches to speaking about speaking to the 12 disciples that he's called and talks about uh, leading the, the flock with, um, with an eye single to the glory of God, right? That he's, they're, they're not to be concerned with these worldly concerns, um, and they're going to focus primarily on ministering to others, building the kingdom, and that God's going to take care of, of any other need that they have uh, as long as they focus on building the kingdom. So now in chapter 14, Jesus is going to switch back to talking to the group as a whole. So he was just talking to, to the disciples. Now he's going to talk to the group as a whole. The multitude is what Mormon calls them. And this chapter is going to be pretty short. This is uh, comparable to Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 27. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, this is going to be, uh, there's going to be some kind of a series of sayings that Jesus gives in this chapter with an overarching purpose of uh, not talking about every single situation that a, a disciple might face, but more so um, giving them a sense of this is how, this is how you engage as a disciple. So at the very end of this chapter, I'll start with the end so that we can give a sense for what Jesus wants us to understand. He says, therefore, whoso heareth these sayings of mine 
and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man who built his house upon a rock. And the rains descended, and the floods came, <coughs> and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall thereof. Now, he has already referenced this kind of parable of building a house upon the rock in 3 Nephi 11. <clears throat> after teaching the doctrine of Christ. And now, you know, we can remember these people uh, had lived the law of Moses for centuries. And that was, in their mind, the rock that they built their discipleship on was the law. Now, Jesus has fulfilled the law and he's giving them these new sayings. And they're not going to be as particular as the law of Moses their orientations more. They're like, this is how you move through life. And I think that's important. Even in the church today, we as members of the church can kind of make the mistake of looking at the gospel as a series of checkboxes. And that's not what Jesus is, is saying here. These are parables of discipleship that if we can consider these parables and kind of get to the logic and the spirit of them, then we'll get a sense of what he wants us to do in other situations that he might not specifically address. So let's get after it. That's his view, uh, or that's his vision for us, is to be able to live our life here while building upon his rock. He starts off in chapter 14 and verses 1 through 5 by talking about judgment and this is, um, I think this is a really relevant topic for disciples of Christ. We're asked to live life at a really, really high moral standard. And that comes with its benefits, right? It comes with certain protections and a sense of focus to what we want in our life. Um, but it also comes with its... Uh, I guess with its vulnerabilities or things that can be taken advantage of and used um, to not accomplish the, king, the goals of the kingdom. And so this is what Jesus is talking about. He's giving us warnings about these vulnerabilities. He says in verse 1, Verily, verily, I say unto you, judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye met, it shall be measured to you again. So <clears throat> how you treat others, how you see others, the I would say the amount of, you could say judgment, but you could also say mercy, right? The amount of mercy that you give others is the amount of mercy that you'll be treated with. The amount of judgment that you give others is the amount of judgment you'll be treated with. And um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of, I don't think Jesus is just saying, I'm keeping notes and I'm just going to behave how you behave. I think there's part of this that is the, the judgment that we give others, say even our family, right? Sometimes our family is sometimes the hardest, some of the hardest relationships that we have. The judgment that we give our family, that we carry around with us, and let's say this, we judge them pretty harshly. We carry grudges or, or, or something like that or conflict in our family is a big part of 
our daily lives and we can't seem to shake it 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 changes how we see them it changes how we behave around them um that it's almost like our hearts are are like a cup and there's only a certain amount of capacity in that cup and it's almost like filling that cup up with we'll just say like dirt or gravel or trash or whatever it might be something that you can't drink that can't you know sustain you hydrate you and then you know at the end you can put in water but and it will hold some water but a lot of that water will be tainted um will will be muddy and will be mixed in with everything else and and it's almost i think one of the things that Jesus is telling us here is we are practicing when we treat others a certain way however we treat others we're practicing the way that we're willing to be treated we're willing so one of the hardest things i think in life is in <clears throat> in the gospel is to accept forgiveness um for our sins right that repentance that's a difficult part of repentance is it's not just saying sorry it's not just changing our habits it's accepting that jesus really can have mercy on us forgive us and that we can move on with our lives and sometimes we beat ourselves up quite a bit about this um and i think one of the things that jesus is suggesting here is that uh one of the ways we practice receiving mercy is we practice giving mercy and um that those two are tied together how we see others and how we are seen by others those are really tied together um and that if we want to cultivate the capacity to see others clearly and to be seen and to receive that kind of mercy from others we got to practice that in our relationships so he'll go on in verse 3 he says and why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye <coughs> excuse me uh or how wilt thou say thou say to thy brother let me pull the mote out of thine eye and behold a beam is in thine own eye now mote and beam these are archaic words we don't use these words but a mote is basically like a fleck of dust or think of like a very minor piece of sawdust or something like that and a beam <coughs> is like a rod or like a branch right and so you can imagine this is a very vivid picture that Jesus is painting here someone's got something in their eye right and like if you have even if you have like a fleck of dust it's irritating your eyes are pretty vulnerable and so you can feel it and they're maybe trying to get it out of their eye or it's like causing their eye to water, water or irritating their eye and you're sitting there and you are not just like recognizing that they got a moat in their eye a little fleck of dust but you're ridiculing them you're making it the most important part of your relationship to them is the fact that they have this thing this imperfection in one of their most vulnerable places and that's all you're focusing on that's where your attention's going now that's another irritant just on its own we we don't want to be in relationships with people where they define us by our imperfections before our good qualities um but on top of that imagine that this person who is nitpicking about this moat in this this other person's eye has this rod kind of coming out of their eye this like 
huge branch stuck in their head and how ridiculous it is for that person to be paying any attention whatsoever to a small tiny fleck of dust that's that's what jesus is saying here and these huge imperfections right these like these beans that are growing out of our eye we all have them we all have them um but they tend to obscure our vision of others they when when somebody is so committed to picking out the little tiny details of imperfection in others it's a pretty good indication that on some level deep down inside they're aware of of some real struggles that they have um and that's one of the things jesus is saying here is take care of yourself like take care of cleanse the inner vessel before you make it a point to judge the world He's not saying you have no function in judging the world. Remember, we're, we've taken upon ourselves the name of Jesus Christ. Christ is the Messiah. This is his kingdom. There are standards. There is such a thing as right and wrong in the world. And it's maddening when it's treated like there aren't those things. However, there's a sense of inner purity. And I'm not just talking about not doing bad. I'm talking about cultivating love, hope, faith, righteousness, uh, the capacity to care and exercise mercy, all these things that Jesus is teaching us in the Beatitudes. Before we enter into any position of judgment with others, those those are the things we need to cultivate. And so Jesus says, thou hypocrite. Remember, a hypocrite is an actor, somebody who wears a mask. First cast the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast the mote out of thy brother's eye. And I think there's a lot of really profound truth there, that in our relationships, in the world in general, instead of picking sides, demonizing others, um, and presenting ourselves like we're the true, the righteous ones, let's cultivate some repentance in our lives and some care for others and some humility and uh and work on making sure that we've been brought into alignment with the holy ghost and and what the holy ghost bears record of and then i think we'll be able to enter into certain spaces where people are really struggling but we'll be able to do it with the love of god and we'll be able to heal wounds instead of create deeper wounds Remember that this chapter is kind of a series of sayings. There isn't necessarily like an overarching narrative between each of these sayings, but he's just giving us a kind of a scattershot of this is what a disciple's life looks like. So here's some things that could cause you to think how, how, what's the character of a disciple? Like parables, right? Um, So the next one's in verse six where Jesus says, Give not that which is holy unto dogs, neither cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Um, And so there's nothing inherently wrong with swine, although under the law of Moses, pigs were unclean, and so there would be this kind of natural aversion that Israelites have to pigs. But you think, what is a, what is a pig 
have use of with pearls. Pigs aren't going to value pearls. Pigs aren't, they have no, they have no conception of what's useful there. And, uh, and Jesus is making this comparison between that which is holy and these pearls. And when we think about what's sacred to us, um, think about how to cherish those things. It's, it's again, another, it's not an, a checkbox type of instruction of you do this and you do this and you do this on the Sabbath day, or you don't do this and don't do this and don't do this on the Sabbath day. Or when you talk about the temple, you can talk about these things and you can't talk about those things. And as long as you stick with the checklist, you'll be just fine. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying that which is sacred and above all in Jesus's kingdom, people are sacred. But we also have these beautiful experiences that we get through the Holy Ghost and with each other and in ordinances that and covenants that we have. That which is sacred, treat it like it's sacred. Treat it appropriately. Um, when when we have the capacity to see each other as sacred, um, we treat each other differently. You know, I in my job, I sometimes have students that come in and talk about some of the struggles that they have or something going on at home or whatever it might be. And I'm, I'm never sitting there thinking, man, this person's a terrible human being who's in my office. It's this person like clearly loves God and they clearly uh, want to be happy. And they're struggling with something that we all kind of struggle with in mortality in whatever way that's impacting their life. And, uh, and the response is not to, treat it like something I just throw to the pigs. It's to treat it like a pearl. It's to treat their experience, their, their struggles, their pain as something that needs to be cared for and, and treated sacredly. And, you know, we think about the way that, that people are being objectified in the, in this world and whether it's through, um, like objectification of, you know, sexualization of people or um, of prejudices like racism or sexism or even nationalism, right? That the fact, the idea that somebody living on the other side of a border is somehow less than uh, we are. These are all ways that we, we take that which is most sacred to God, his children, and we we treat them like something that can be tossed to the swine. And Jesus is saying, that's not how you live in, in my kingdom. That's not how my disciples treat others. That's not my, how my disciples uh, care for that which is sacred. He gives us another parable. He says, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth and he that seeketh findeth. And unto him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you who, if his son ask bread, will give him a stone? If he ask a fish, will give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give unto th good things unto them that ask him? This is kind of, you know... We use these verses, these are verses 7 through 11, by the way. We use these verses often to talk about prayer. <clears throat> and I think that that's appropriate. Like, 
we we clearly learn something about prayer here, <clears throat> but really I think what we're learning about is the nature of God as our Father. And in in ancient Israel, um, sometimes God's referred to as Father, but mostly in respect to like the covenant. And when Jesus starts off this prayer that he gives in chapter 13, the Lord's Prayer, he says, Our Father. And he's making it very clear that even though Jesus is the beloved Son, that he's not trying to draw boundaries between his access to the Father and our access to the Father. He wants us to have the same type of relationship with the Father that he has. And so what's what kind of God are, are we worshiping and we asking things for? Somebody who knows how to give good gifts. Somebody who knows how to treat his children with care. Um, I have three boys, and I don't always give them what they ask for uh, because they don't always ask for that which is good for them, right? If all they ask for, they love candy, they always want treats, uh, and sometimes I give them treats. But if I only gave them treats, that's a bad thing. That's like not a responsible thing to do as a parent. And we worship uh, God, our Father, and heaven is a Father who knows how to give good gifts and wants us to ask them, ask him for them, wants us to seek, because that's the appropriate relationship of a child to their parent, is to take your needs and your concerns and your fears to your parent and say, I need help on this. And they might not snap their fingers and like solve every problem for you. But Jesus is saying, look, as we're disciples and I'm, I'm telling you, you need to treat others with mercy, right? You can't take harsh judgment into your relationship with others. You can't treat others as if you can just cast them before swine. If I'm asking you to do that, how do you think your father in heaven is going to treat you when you guys know how to treat each other? You know how to treat your children. And he says, you being evil, and we don't need to do too much work on that. We're, we're part of mortality, and we have our struggles, and we mess up. But your Father in heaven, who's not evil, who's, who's holy, if I'm giving you this standard of how to treat others, you don't think that he's going to treat you all the more better? More better? All the better? Like, this standard that I'm setting up for you, it's a fraction of the goodness of God. Um, ask him. Depend on him. Lean on him. He's not going to treat you with harsh judgment. He's not going to cast you to swine. Um, when you have needs, go to your father. Know him as father. I think that's kind of what, what we can get out of that. Um, and, and saying that you know Heavenly Father as your father is different than actually knowing him as your father. And that takes time and effort. And, you know, you think about your parents here, here on earth, uh, and they might be great parents, and they might have their own struggles, or you might have complicated relationships with, with your parents. But relationships take time, and they take effort, and they take patience and all of those things. And I think our relationship with our Father in heaven also requires those things. Um, moving on to verse 12. Uh, 
he says, therefore, all the all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do even so to them, for this is the law of the prophets. You can see this theme of considering others, right? Seeing things from their perspective, um, treating others with, with care and respect. Verse 13, enter ye in at the straight at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way, which leadeth to destruction, and many there be who go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So, the word straight here um, doesn't mean, it doesn't curve, it means straight as in narrow. Okay, and you can look at that word in verse 13 and see that it's spelled S-T-R-A-I-T, straight gate, narrow gate. So there's a narrow gate and there's a wide gate. And you can imagine kind of going into a city and there's a wall around the city and there's a narrow gate and a wide gate. Most people would be going to that wide gate, right? And imagine you're caught in this herd of people like we are here. We have, we're caught in the momentums of our communities or our families or our cultures or our nations or whatever it might be. And the momentum of that community, of most communities, they're going to be going to this wide gate because that's, that's the obvious way that the people are going to enter into the city. And he's saying, enter ye in at the straight gate, the narrow gate. Don't just go with the flow of humanity. You're going to need to work to get out of that flow a little bit and to find the gate that no one else thinks to go into. Which means that, look, we don't need to be quote-unquote counterculture and go into every relationship thinking, like, how am I going to blow up this, this culture that this person has or their values or their moralities? That's not the thing that Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about, like, anarchy and resistance in that sense. What he's talking about is, we need to be like it's inevitable that we're going to grow up in a a culture that has its problems. Every culture does, um, and if we're continuing this theme of being self-reflexive and like realizing our own faults before we go into others, that translates into how we look at our communities as well. No community is is perfect enough to just carry you on. Uh, in the perfect right direction without any work that we can put in. And some communities are better than others, right? The, the church is a pretty good community. Um, but even the church can't get you there without you putting in a little effort. And some of that effort will require a lot out of you to fight against the momentum that carries you in directions um, that don't align with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's going to take some effort and it's going to take some creativity and inspiration for you to find that narrow gate. It's going to take the Holy Ghost helping you to get there and to live by your covenants. And in, you know, President Nelson talks about that we need to repent in every area of our life. And he even talks about like eating like a disciple of Jesus Christ, which is kind of a weird way to think about it. But what he's saying is like everything's on the table. Everything like matters and we can be considerate about every part of our life and, and bringing it into alignment with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Moving on to verses 15 through 20, 
the Lord here talks about false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. That's, um, I think, as relevant now as it's ever been. Uh, we have a lot of voices, maybe more voices than have ever existed on the earth, and they all have platforms. It's so easy to get a platform today. And it's so easy to get followers and to get a little momentum behind what it is that whatever anybody's trying to push. And, um, and he's saying, don't, don't be fooled by that, right? Just because somebody has a, a flashy smile and a huge crowd cheering for him doesn't mean that, that inwardly that they're disciples of Jesus Christ, that they're part of the, sh the, the flock, um, they could be in sheep's clothing and inwardly they're ravening wolves. So how do you know? How do you know if they're wolves or sheep, so to speak? Um, he says, you'll know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth, corrupt, uh, bringeth forth evil fruit. So we look at their behaviors and we look at how they treat people and we look at um, how they treat their loved ones and their family and where it, it, if, they're, if they put a lot of attention into vanity and like, you know, are they more concerned with dressing a certain way, appearing a certain way, using certain rhetoric than they are with actually treating people decently? Um, I mean, it's pretty simple. It seems pretty simple, but we can get pretty easily distracted by the flash of, of the lights that are surrounding, um, some of these very vocal people in the world. Um, and look, Jesus is pretty clear about this. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire. Wherefore by your fruits, their fruits, ye shall know them. The result of all of these uh, false prophets is going to be uh, like their their tree doesn't produce fruit. That's it, uh, not good fruit. And and there's going to be a certain destruction to that. Whether there's destruction in their families or in their communities that they lead or whatever it might be. Um, high school is kind of a rough place socially, um, and and there are people in high school who prioritize popularity and um, vanity over kindness. And it's really, really tempting to give those people power and let them have influence in your life. And I think if we're applying, you know, he's not talking to high schoolers in, in 2020 here, um, but if we're applying his words into our lives here, I think there's a lot of relevancy there. So beware of false prophets. They are out there uh, now as much as ever. Moving on to the next saying, uh, this is kind of his last saying that we'll talk about. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And... Uh, I think that connected with the previous 
saying that Jesus just gave us about these false prophets is a pretty sobering thing that some of these false prophets will sound right. Some of them will, will know how to put on the performance, will know how to say, Lord, Lord, right? And uh, whatever it might be, like they'll know how to perform as if. And not everybody who does that is actually in line living the gospel, ready to enter into that narrow gate. And there's a certain amount of, you know, this chapter talked about judgment. And I think we see that Jesus is not asking us to drop our judgments. He's saying this whole process, it starts with you doing the work on the, on the inside and you doing the work in your life. But have your eyes open too as you're looking around about who you want to be and who you want to follow in this world, who you want to put your trust in, um, who you want to give influence in your life. And that's going to require us to exercise some judgment. And it might not be the case that the community that we're a part of, um, that we grew up in, the culture that we grew up in, whatever, is going toward the narrow gate. And we got to be critical about that, using the spirit, and think, what are the parts of my life that uh, if I don't repent or if I don't put some effort into change, are, are going to take me away from the Lord, and what are the parts that are going to take me to the Lord? And who are the people who are influencing me to go to the Lord, and who are the people who are influencing me to go away from the Lord? And what kind of person do I want to be? Ultimately, remember he ends this chapter with the idea that there's only one rock that we can build a house on that can resist the storms of mortality. And if we don't build on that, that rock, him and his gospel, then it really doesn't matter how beautiful the house is because the storm comes and mortality breaks through. And no matter how flashy it was or how much it looked like it was right, it doesn't really, really matter in the end because there's only one rock that can withstand everything else, and it's Jesus Christ and his atonement. And we get there by faith, repentance, making covenants, baptism, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, and doing everything we can in life to build his kingdom, which is one that highlights mercy, that highlights decency, that highlights care for others, and not contention or separation or power in the traditional sense. Um, and these are profound sayings, and he's kind of given us this wide breadth of this is how you treat people in this world if you're going to be my disciple and take upon you my name. Um, and I can't wait to hear your thoughts in the, in the comment section below about which of these is to you, which of these is kind of the most profound kind of guiding parable that is relevant in your life. What's the one that really sticks out to you? And how do you see it applying in today's world? And uh, I think one thing that's so amazing about this sermon, um, not only is it one of the most beautiful things ever written, but it's one of the most universally relevant. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.